This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Good evening. Pashas Tzaveh. So we're going to start off with the Kavayosha. Kavayosha Parakeh. Very connected, actually, this Kavayosha Parakeh to the fourth attribute in the Toma Devorah, which we're going to learn tonight in Mitzah Hashem. So let's start off with Parakeh Kavayosha. Mitzah Hashem, we're going to finish all 102. The greatest love that you can have for your friend, when you see your friend doing something wrong, helping him. Okay. You should love your friend as you love yourself. We know. The Klagadol Batayra is to love your friend as much as you love yourself. What does that mean? You should buy your friend a good dinner, nice suit, nice pair of shoes, like what? A nice car? What does it mean to love someone else as much as yourself? So the Kaviyosh is going to say a huge Kiddush tonight. So what does that mean? And Rabbi Wallstein talks about this a lot. There is no greater love. When someone sees another Jew doing bad, if you see him doing something wrong, you need to tell him. You need to tell him. Don't help him do what's wrong. There are people out there that say you should help the kid do their vera. Kaviyosha says, that's not love. That's not love at all. That's maybe loving yourself, but not loving the other person. There's a way to be as well. Yes, we're going to talk about it. Of course, it doesn't mean beat him up and punish him and criticize him. What does the word yochiach mean in English? You know what that means? How, how they translate it? Rebuke. Rebuke. There's no greater display of love than the mandatory rebuking of a Jewish brother. Okay? So it doesn't mean you should make fun of him. It doesn't mean the Rebbe should embarrass him in front of the class. But you, you gotta, you gotta draw, you gotta have guidelines. You gotta, if someone's doing something wrong, you gotta tell him he's doing something wrong. If someone's arm is broken, you, and you're the doctor, and you do the x-ray, you gotta tell him, listen, I'm really sorry to tell you, but you can't play ball tomorrow. I know it's gonna make you very unhappy. You have a big basketball game, a big all-star game tomorrow. But I just took a, an x-ray. You have a hairline fracture. And with a hairline fracture, you can't play ball. But Rebbe, but, ah, you got to put a cast on it. If you love him. If you don't love that, don't tell him. Let him go play ball tomorrow. He'll be happy. He'll think you're the greatest guy around. You know, you didn't tell me. But Lemaisa, you, you hurt, you're hurting him. That's what he says in Kabayosha. Not Rabbi Wallerstein. Not a way of thinking. Not old-fashioned. Tyrus forever. He says... What is, ah, there is no greater love than when you see someone doing wrong and you discipline them. Azeh. Why? Because all of our souls are connected to each other. Avoklalu. But the person who's doing the rebuking, right, he has to know what he's talking about. 
He has to understand the punishment and what the other person's soul is going to go through. That the poor soul is going to go through after it leaves the body. Remind me tonight that I need to talk to you about like yesterday I was up in the ranch and we always have an hour and a half to sort of talk with the girls and one of the girls said to me how do you know that there's a ne- the next world? How do you know? So you just believe in it. I don't believe in it. I don't believe it. In other words, you die, life is over. That's it. Everything turns dark and you're next and next. That's it, over. So Wall said, how do you, how do you, why do you believe? I said, I don't believe, I know. She said, no, you can't know unless you were there. I'm like, no, I know and I wasn't there. So at the end of the year, remind me, because I'm ADD, that I may forget to say it. To tell you about our discussion, but it has a lot to do with what's going on in the Kavayasha tonight. Everything is very, very, um, very connected. So now, why am I scaring my friend and telling him what's going to be in the next world if you do this and that? When he hears that, maybe he'll do tshuva. Okay? Kaviyasha says it the way it is. He's very much in the other world of Kaviyasha. And he says, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the punishment of a soul that did things that he wasn't supposed to do in this world. Da. Again, I'm, I'm not... I'm learning the Kaviyasha from the first parak, Mr. Shem, till the end. And he's tough. And he's scary. And like, why are you scaring us, Rabbi? I'm not scaring you. I'm learning the Kaviyasha. I'm not saying anything he doesn't say. Okay? Take it the way you want to take it. You should know that the air in this world, is full of souls of human beings. Who cannot, cannot even go to the next world to Gehenim, to Ganeiden, to rest. They're, they're floating around. There are souls in this world that are floating around. He tells a story. Uh, once the Ariza was going to learn Tyra in the field. And the the trees were full of souls. I guess this was in Tzfas. Tzfas is pretty scary at night. It is. pretty pretty spooky. Right? Out there in the... What? Nothing to do there. What? No, I'm saying, it's a little spooky out there. So in the field, there were souls. In the trees, there were souls. In the in the water, there were souls. So the Rizal asked these souls, What are you doing here? Like, what are you hanging out in a tree? Go to Shemayim. They answered, They were pushed away from the, the it's, it's, a, it's a curtain to the next world, and they weren't allowed to cross that, that line. But because they did not do tshuva on their sins, and now comes a very scary line. And even if they did tshuva boys on their sins, but... But they were tzaddikim, right? So why didn't they get into the next world? They didn't let their friends do tshuva. 
You hear? You did tshuva, but you didn't let your friend do tshuva. But you know, and they're they're lost. And they just heard all these souls were flowing all over the place. They heard that the there's a tzaddik in the world named Arizal, who could fix and help all these souls that are lost. Why were they all there when he was out there? He asked them, why are you here? So they said, because you're here. So we're all in the field and we're all around you because we heard you could get us into the next world. That's why we gathered. Please, I have pity on us and fix us so we could go to rest. Because we don't have to suffer. So the Arizal promised them, I'm going to do whatever I can, he said. The Arizal told this to his students because they didn't know who he was talking to. They saw the Rebbe talking to the air. So they asked him, what's going on? Arizal's talking to something. And they don't know who he's talking to and who's answering him. That's what he says. So it's written, it's written in his books, in the Arizal's books. He did fix them. He did help them. What did he do? The tefillah of a tzaddik can bring these souls out of this world into the next world. Because he dominates with kavana. So listen to this, unbelievable. This is Kabbalah. So the Arizal is davening. So his tefillah is going to the throne of Hashem. A lot of the souls went into, got, got covered by his tefillah. So they snuck into Shemayim through his tefillah. Wow. That's what it says in How many souls gather and get covered in the prayers of a poor person? Listen to this. There is no prayer that is loved more by God than a poor man's prayer. And a prayer of a tzaddik. They go up in a huge flame, with a fire around it. And the other side, the Satan, is scared to mess with a poor man's tefillah and the tefillah of a tzaddik. So when a man goes around collecting tzaddik and he's very broken and very poor, ask him to daven for you. Actually, it happened today. It's so weird. What a weird thing that we're living in the conversation today. So, so a year ago, I met this man who came to my office. He was very broken. He had no money. A little, a little Svartic man, old man. And he said to me that he has to make a wedding. And it's going to cost him a certain amount of money. And he doesn't have a dollar. And he's here already a month. And he's going back the next night to Israel. And he doesn't, he's not going to be able to make this wedding. And he doesn't know what to do. Whatever it was. My daughter was single at that point. So I gave him the money for the wedding. I wrote a check for the money. I said, wedding's covered. I want tonight. That the night of the wedding, you daven under the chuppah that my daughter should get married this year. Kachoya. 
today he came to my office. I didn't see him since he said, so what's doing with your daughter? Is anything happening? And he should do him like she's married since August. He was like, ah, I started dancing in my office. The tefillah of an ani, if you see a poor person, a broken person, he says here, there's no tefillah, the biggest, there's no tefillah who loves my Hashem more than a broken person. That it goes up in a fire and the, uh, and the satan is scared to mess with the prayer of an ani and the prayer of a tzaddik. All these souls that are stuck in this world, that's where they hide and that's how they go up. When a tzaddik dies, the tzaddik has to go through Gehenna. I'll tell you a whole story with this. It's brought down the Zayar Daf Reish Chaf. When he goes through hell, when he goes through Gehenna, the tzaddik. He's able to take the shamas from hell, from, 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 from Gehenna, and, and take them out of Gehenna. Huh? Pretty cool. Why? Why does he go through Gehenna? So it says that, I don't have my Alas here, but it says that, that there's a bridge in the next world. There's a bridge. And the bridge goes over the pit of hell, the pit of Gehenna. And when you cross the bridge, the door of Gehenna and the door of Ganeiden face each other. And the 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 the, 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 the Rishaim in Gehenna can hear the tzaddikim in Ganeiden learning and singing and davening, and the tzaddikim can hear the cries of the of the neshamas that were in Gehenna. Why? They want to hear Jews in pain? No, it's a punishment to them. Because if you would have been the tzaddik and saved all the Jews, they wouldn't be in Gehenna. Like the Kohen Gadol. With the, right. So they have to go over that. They have to walk over Gehenna because all those neshamas are in Gehenna. If you're a dar, you didn't save. So you, you, have to, you have to feel that pain. We're very responsible for each other. Very famous story. Talks about in... in Rav Kahana? Rav Kahana? So it's in the Abbas Chaim where it talks about in the Pasha of Nadarim. Neudika's story. I think his name was Rav Kahana. It was a very big tzaddik and it was the bris of his grandson. And they were waiting. He went into his room and they were waiting to do the bris to name the child. And he didn't come out for hours and everybody left except there was just like a minion. And when he finally came out, when he finally came out, his son-in-law asked him, what did you do? Why, well, you always come out right away for the bridge. What happened? So he said that when he went into the room, he saw a cloud. And he saw that there were hundreds of thousands of angels that came down to the earth, that this, this Rav Kahana, this, this big tzaddik died. And they were taking his soul to the next world. And he was watching the whole thing and he saw, I guess he was like in a dream, whatever, he saw that Rav Kahana was going across this bridge over, over Gehenna and he jumped into Gehenna. He jumped into Gehenna, this tzaddik. And when he jumped into Gehenna, the malach that's running Gehenna turned it off. It's an Abbas Chaim. Because he couldn't, he, couldn't he couldn't burn his soul. Right, turned it off. 
he was very upset the Malach because now everybody everyone's supposed to be in Gehenna they're not, there's no fire so he said to the Rav Kahana what, did you, what do you want why did you jump into Gehenna so Rav Kahana said um, I want to take souls from the seventh level that never come out I want to take them with me to Ganeiden and I'm not leaving I'm not stepping out of Gehenna until I get he didn't say the amount of souls until I'm able to save these souls the Malach of Gehenna said I don't have wishes to do that he went, I'll go to Hashem, I'll ask permission. He went to Hashem, and Hashem said that he's such a big tzad that you have to let him take the souls. And he said, he said, he said he, that Rav Kahana said he's not going to leave Gehenna until he takes the souls. So Hashem said, did he ever break his word? Did he ever break his word when he was in this world? Because if he broke his word once, then we'll break his word here. No, he said he's never going to leave until he takes out other people and saves them. But if he ever lied, they're going to say, too bad, we're, we're throwing you out and you're not taking anybody. I, I said, I'm not, not going to leave. You're a liar. You lied in this world, you lied in that world. But if he never lied, then you have to listen to him. So they checked in his books and he never, ever lied. So they could not throw him out of, out of the... And, and they had to save him. So the Malach said, how many souls, how many souls does he have a right to save? So Hashem said, as many souls as he saved when he was in this world. And it says he saved 360 souls. Um, he paid for them to get the ransom. He paid 360 ransoms. So Hashem said he could take 360 souls. Whatever you do in this world, that's what you have a right to do in that world. So the Malach came back and said, you could take 360, the worst. These are the worst. This is the seventh level of Gehenna. And he said, I'm not leaving until I take double. The Malach said, nah, now nah, you're pushing it. Hashem said, you could, whatever you saved, you could take. So that's what he said. He said, but I only lived till I was 70. If Hashem would have given me a Rechaz Yamim, I definitely would have taken out another 360. So he says, he went to it's, it's a whole thing. Kashbaruch said, that he, takes, he, he, takes, he takes 720. He takes 720 souls. Why? Because he never lied. If he would have lied in this world, they would have made him lie in that world. So you said you're not going to leave? Too bad. You're a liar. So you're going to lie in this world too. So you see from here that a tzaddik has a power in the next world to save Jews, Jewish people that are in Gehenna because... Now, he asked in Avaz Chaim, why did they make him walk over the bridge? Because every tzaddik to get to Gehenna has to walk over the bridge because he has a certain responsibility that they're in the Shamas in Gehenna he didn't save them. Like the Kohen Gadol in the Ari Mikla. Not so Pashat. We're very, very um, responsible for for the other Jews okay anyway so when he dies he goes through Gehenna when he goes through he takes out souls so this story of Gedalia said who was a student of the Arizal you all know that right in Tzvas um, the Ariza went out with Rav Alkabach. Rav Alkabach wrote the Luchadaydi, and they used to go out Erev Shabbos. The Ariza said, "Over, he saw this unbelievable sight." When they were standing on top of the mountain in Tzfas, that was outside the city, they saw Kol Have you ever been up there on top of the uh, graveyard? There's a graveyard. You walk down, you go into the Ariza's mikvah, right? So they were standing on top of that hill, top of that hill. 
He said, and um, they showed the whole base of Chaim Shokihilas Tzfas. Tibana v'tichayin of a hairy man should be built in our day. Roi chaloshin l'shem shalom ekberam l'alos l'mala ganeil l'shamala. They saw souls going up to ganeil shamala, and they saw many souls going down. Okay, this is very deep stuff. Not important for us. He says, "There's nothing greater than the tefillah of a tzaddik for these souls that are lost." There's no more gimilas chesed. We're not such big tzaddikim. Halavai that our prayers would help us. Forget about helping other neshamas. That we should be able to pray, right? That it should forgive our own sins. That we went against Hashem. He says, you should know that all of us could be mezakeh, these souls. And it's a big chesed. We You should daven that all the bad people should do tshuva. And how do we know this? He says there's a tefillah. Certain syndrome have this. If you know someone that's off the derech or someone that's doing averis, there's a tefillah in hashivenu avinu that you say hashivenu avinu is a sechah. Where we get a sechah? That's when you ask to do tshuva. He wants him should be the will, Hashem Elokeinu Elokei Vosena, my God, Shetachtech Etirat Mitachas Kisek Vodecha, the Chuvah Tzoyri Ben Plainness. You should send a, like a message that this person, the son of this person, the son of this woman, should do Chuvah. Whoever's going against you, Hashem, you should turn their hearts. So we, we, and then we say, Rechat Hashem, I write to the Chuvah. So we say that, and I say that, I, I know the Tzilah. If you know someone that's, that's, that went off the derech, whatever it is, you can daven for him. Yup. You should say it with Kavana. And Kosh Bokhu will listen to you. So you don't have to be a big tzaddik. You have to daven for every, every, every person. Every person we need to daven for. So you surely can't help a person do an Aveira. You gotta tell them if you're doing something wrong. He says, but you yourself, you yourself have to, before you give someone else more, sir, you got to be doing the right thing. He says, you can't be saying one thing and having another thing in your heart. I talk about this, I've spoken about this before, that souls talk to each other. So you really can't fool somebody. Because even though your brain doesn't know, but your soul knows. So if, let's say I watch movies. I get up, and I'm giving all you guys muster about movies. And I have stories, and I have all kinds of stuff. You're seeing, you're like, wow, Ray Wallace, that was amazing. I'm never going to watch a movie again. It's unbelievable. Meanwhile, I myself go home and watch movies. In the end, you will watch, the people that I'm teaching... Their souls know, they're like, you're full of baloney. You're, what, are you, what are you telling me? You're giving me dirty water. You're dirty, and you're giving me dirty water. You're, you're telling me not to watch movies, but you're, you're in a shamas full of movies. You tell me not to look at girls, but all day long you look at girls. So even though I'm speaking and I'm giving you a great speech, right, your soul knows that it's a lie, and in the end, even though your brain's like, wow, that was great, I'm never going to do it again, you'll do it again. You, the, the person who gives the musr has to be... His, his mouth and his soul have to be one. So, 
So you, if there's something that you now, so someone said to me, so then, so then, if you talk lashon hara, you can't you can't give Moshe about lashon hara. Maybe not. You have to work on yourself first. So I can't tell you not to have an iPhone if I have an iPhone, because your souls know he has an iPhone. And I can't tell you not to look at something if I look at those things. So you know what? I hardly ever give Musa on television. Why don't I ever talk about television? Because as a kid, I watch television. So I'm not, I'm not that sensitive to it. I'm desensitized. So I don't talk about it. There's certain things I don't talk about because I myself, I am. So even though you're going to be like, wow, Rebbe, uh, but your soul's like, huh, Rebbe? Yeah, okay, I know what you They know. They talk to each other. How do we know they talk to each other? How do, they know, how do we know they know everything? So if you ever read about Dibukim, when I was younger, I used to study Dibukim. When I was a, um, I was, what do they call me? A, um, um, something in training, uh, SIT. Oh, an SIT, a spook in training. So, so I used to sit with Machluf and all kinds of other people. I was very into Kabbalah, very into stuff. So there's forum written on Dibukim, and one of the, the last Dibuk was by the times of the Chavetz Chaim. And the Chavetz Chaim didn't even go because it was so tame, he didn't go. He sent his, his Talmud. And when he came and he said, I'm a shlich of the, of the Chavetz Chaim, it was a whole story. How he went out, he went out the finger, out the window, whatever. It's not important. But the one thing about and there was a Dibuk once here in, in Flatbush, a long time ago. Whatever, it's a whole story. With Machlof Lashri, my, my Rebbe, many, many years ago in Kabbalah. So it was a whole story with him, with Gershom Kaufman, with whatever. Anyway, so, so the, soul, the, the, the soul that's in the person's body, any person that walks into the room says every Aver you ever did. So rabbis would come in to try to get it, and it would say, You! Last time when you were speaking, you were looking at the woman in the corner, and you were thinking of this, and you were, ah! And the guy ran out the door. They know everything. Souls know everything. So nobody, nobody wanted to walk into the room. Uh, he would rip everyone apart because they could see each other. He saw everything that went. Since his Talmud, he was done. So souls know. If you're not real, they know you're not real. And the Kavayosha says, just make sure when you're giving Musr that you yourself are real. Because otherwise the other soul knows that you're not real. And that's, we see that by Dibuk and we see that. Okay, whatever. I don't want to get too deep into this stuff. But anyway, so, um, so he says the following. A story in the Zayar. Rav Abba, Rav Acha, Rav Yoshi. Rav Abba, Rav Acha, Rav Yoshi were walking in Tveria. While they were walking, rose Rabbi Eleazar, Shahayyaba. They saw Rabbi Eleazar, Rabbi Chia. Amar Rav Abba. Okay. Um... We're waiting for him. We're going to wait for him. Let's wait for him. Let's wait for Rabbi Olaza. He's going to come with us. We'll learn. So he got there. Amar Baba. Okay, whatever. And Rabbi Olaza said, Rabbi Olaza said, That we are compared to the sand in the yam. What does that mean? What does that mean? Just like the sand, the beach holds back the ocean. And it's white. He says that Klai Yisrael, through doing tshuva and Maisim Taivim, 
turn the Averis into white and hold back hold back the, 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 the power of the other side. We have that we have that power. So he says, therefore, his Ayru his Ayru. Wake up, wake up, Achai my brothers. Do a small tshuva. Do good deeds. And when you say Hashivenu in Shmona Esrei, have in mind your friends that are off the derech. There'll be better tzaddikim in the world. We're going to be there's going to be so many tzaddikim. It's going to be like the sand on the beach, and that all the mekatrigim that want to come hurt the world. We're going to be able to hold them back. And there's going to be Hatzalah and Sassan and Simcha, Amen, to all the Klai Yisrael. But, he says, if you see someone doing something wrong, and he's your friend, and you really love him, you need to tell him. Don't tell him, don't, don't be scared to tell him that he's doing something wrong. That's parakeh. Now it happens to be, it happens to be, that in the Toma Devorah tonight, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about it's a very famous story. Mida, I'm skipping a little bit. We'll, we'll, we'll do the Mida next week, but I want to read you a story. It's a Mida Dalad. Mida Dalad talks about that the Bnei Yisrael are all one. We're all relatives. And, and the, the best marshal, the best marshal he gives here, it's very, very deep. You know, the whole, the whole thing we're talking about forgiving other people when they hurt you, right? He said, let's say, let's say there's a, a quarter on the floor. You bend down to pick up the quarter. When you bend down to pick up the quarter with your finger and your thumb, by accident you step on your finger and your thumb. Right? You bent down and you took a step by accident, you didn't realize, and you really hurt yourself. You stepped on your finger and your thumb to get out, Right? Would you punish your finger and your thumb? Of course not. That's stupid because now you're going to hurt your finger and thumb again. It's your finger and thumb. If someone else, if someone else stepped on your finger. It's a different story. If you stepped on your finger and your thumb, you're not going to go. Oh, I can't. You know, I, I, my foot. My foot stepped on it. I'm going to take a stick and I'm going to whack my foot. How dare you hurt me, my foot? It's my foot. He says the same thing when another Jew hurts you. If you're one body. But why are you taking? Why are you taking revenge on the Jew? Why are you hurting him? Is this, this is this is this is the Torah Devorah. In other words, this guy hurt me, so now I'm going to hurt him back. One second. If your foot hurt your hand, you're not going to hurt your foot back. So when you realize that you're one, it's one body. Why would you take revenge on him? You're hurting yourself by hurting him. You understand what I'm saying? If you if you if you're like one body. Anyway, so he said this story. Just interesting because we're talking about about tshuva. Listen to this. Tell the story. It's a famous story in the Gemara. Hold on. Let's see where it says it. He was... This guy, any Yitzhahari he had, he went after. And then he wanted to do tshuva. Hold on, hold on, hold on. The Gemara tells us a story of Elazar ben Derdaya, who followed his passion wherever he went. He was with like every woman in the world. 
He was mezana with every girl that you could even imagine, don't imagine. He left no sin undone. He even sailed the seas in pursuit of physical pleasure. One day, somebody made a passing comment. He was sitting there. And a guy said to him, you are such a sinner. And I'm not telling you to tell this to anyone, but you are such a sinner that you will never be forgiven no matter how much tshuva you do. You are such a lowlife, God will never ever forgive you. Okay, that's what he told him. The word that he said is that even if you were to return to do tshuva, Hashem would never accept your tshuva. These words rocked his head. Like, when someone told him that, he was so bad, that no matter what tshuva you do, you're not going to be forgiven, he couldn't handle it. So, he found a valley, and he was between two mountains and a valley, and he called out to the hills and mountains and said, somebody told me that no matter how much I pray, God will never forgive me. But if you pray for me, Maybe in your honor, Hashem will forgive me. So the the mountain, the, the valleys and the hills said to him, rather than to than pray for you, we're gonna pray for ourselves. We're not interested in praying for you. No, we're not gonna help you. Okay? So he looked up at the Shemayim. And he said, someone said that God will never forgive me. But if heaven and earth pray for me, maybe Hashem will forgive me for them. So they, that's what he asked. And they said to him, rather than pray for you, you lowlife, we're going to pray for ourselves. He was running out of uh, people to help him, things to help him. So he looked up at the sun and the moon. And he said to the sun and the moon, Listen, Hashem's not going to listen to my tshuva, but if you do tshuva for me, maybe he'll listen to you. And they said, we're not interested in praying for you, we'll pray for ourselves. So he said, stars and constellations, pray for me. They said, no, we're not going to pray for you, rather, we'll pray for ourselves. And this is something that actually happened yesterday, also in the ranch. I'll tell you what. So he came to the realization, everybody that you gotta do it yourself you gotta own your stuff you can't be pointing to everyone else to be helping you all the time you have to do the work I tell this to everybody all the time you have to do the work so he said I see nothing's gonna help me then it all depends on me and he hung the Gemara says this he put his head between his legs and he cried until he died that's tshuva. He put his head between his legs and he cried until he passed away. A baskal came out of Shemayim and said, Rabbi Allah ben Dordaya is invited into Gan Eden. Okay? Now he was no rabbi. When Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi heard, he heard the baskal. He said, it's unbelievable. Some people to get into Gan Eden have to work their whole life. And some people it just takes one second. And not only that, a sinner like him, right? I learned from what happened here that Hashem accepts everybody's tshuva. But on top of that, because he did tshuva, he called him rabbi. 
Rabbi Dedai. So we see from the Gemara that a person's tears open up the gates of Shemayim, and no matter how bad he is, no matter what he did, Gosh will forgive him, but you have to do the work. You can have the best Rebbe, the best therapist, the best everything, the best coach at the end of the day. No one's getting you into Ghanaian, boys. Nobody's getting you into Ghanaian. Not Rabbi Wallstein, not Rav Chaim Kainevsky, give me a bracha. No, there's no shortcut. You know, people go to Rav Chaim and they say, Can I get a bracha to be a Tamachacham? He says, Go learn. <laughs> a bracha to be a Tamachacham. What, are you going to wake up in the morning and be a Tamachacham? You got to do the work. Want to get in Ghanaian? You got to do the work. Give me a bracha, pray for me, pray for yourself. He went, everyone, everyone should pray for me. No. In the end, he realized, I got to own my own stuff. I got to pray for myself. It's very, very important. It's a, it's a very important lesson. Everyone looking, school of this, that. I'll get a bracha, I'll be fine. Now, guys, tell me, you know, I'm protected from going to Gehenna. I went to, I went to the Rizal's mikvah. You think you can do every affair in the world and sleep with anyone you want and do whatever you want and go to the Rizal's mikvah and you're going to be in Gan I don't think that's what it means. I don't think that's what the school is. Everybody's jumping into his mikvah. I don't think, that, I don't know what it means, but I can't imagine by jumping into a cold mikvah, that's it. I can, I can, I can eat chazer, I can be Michal Shabbos, I can do every Avera, I can commit adultery, right? I went to, I went to the mikvah. I'm not going to burn in Gehenna. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't. No. I don't know what that school is exactly, what it means, but it definitely doesn't mean that. You, you got to do the work. You got to do tshuva. He put his head between his legs and quietly died. You know what kind of tshuva that is? You got to do the work. Can't expect that one to do the work. Give me a bracha, everything will be fine. Doesn't work that way. You got to do the work. Anyway, let me let me tell you a little bit about what happened with this um, story with with the next world. Since I didn't know that this kavayasha that we learned today would be all about the next world, so so the girl said to me, Wallstein, how do you know there's another world?" How do you know? You believe. Did you see it? Did someone come back? Did someone talk to you? So the answer is like this. So this is what I said to the group yesterday. And I've said it to many atheists. They're not atheists. They're asking questions just because they want to know the answer. That's all. But I've had many atheists that I don't believe in the next world. I'll tell you a cute story that happened to me many, many, many years ago. When I first went into the bag business, I had a customer on 18th Avenue in Brooklyn called Henry's Fish Store was on the corner of 18th Avenue between 60th and 61st Street. Henry was not a religious Jew. He was brought up, he was brought up on the, I, I sold him plastic bags, that's how I knew him. He was brought up in, the, on the, in Long Island. He knew nothing about Yiddishkeit, really, just nothing. He don't care for a little bit. Anyway, he hired, he hired a, a, a non-Jew who was a born-again wasn't a Jehovah Witness. He was a born-again Christian, something like that, whatever. Very into Yashka. And he was telling, he was telling Henry, Michael was his name, that if he doesn't believe in, in Yashka, then the, the Messiah will never come. He was loading up this whole thing on him. He knew nothing, and, and he started to talk to him about Christianity and the whole, the whole story. And um, so he called me in one day. He says, "You know, this guy's like this guy's really getting to me. Maybe, maybe we're wrong. Maybe they're right. There's so many more of them than there are of us. You know, how do you know? How do you know that, that the Torah is right?" 
I wasn't in Kiruv. I wasn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't was, this is, I'm going back. Wow, it's got to be 35, 36, 37 years before anyone studied Kiruv or knew. You know, I didn't know the answer to that. Anyway, so he said to me, "Listen, Thursday when you come to pick up your check, you and him and me, we're all going to sit in my room, my office. We're going to hash this out." I had no idea what to say. It's a true story. I had no idea what to say. I said to Hashem, you got to help me out here. I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't know the religion. And how do you prove, like, what, like, okay. Anyway, we get into the room. I'm a young kid. I'm 26 years old, 25 years old. I'm a young kid. We're sitting in the room. This guy comes to the room. He's very prepared. They're very prepared. Very nice. Very sweet, sweet-talking guy. He says, okay, you want to talk about Judaism first, or should I talk about Christianity first? I'm like, you know, you go first, because I, I didn't even know what to... <laughs> let me hear what he has to say. He says, God had, God had a son, and the son uh, is, is going to be the Messiah, and Gansamisis, whatever it is. And that if the Jews don't accept him, that's why he's not here, and that's why the world is going, ah, it's all awful, everything's awful. Okay. So Michael says to me, okay, Steve, that was my English name, so now you tell him about, you know, about Judaism. So first I made a joke. I said, that Jews, we don't do retail. We do wholesale. So we go straight to God. We don't want the guy in between. I said, you know, Jews, we come into your store. I said, to, I said, Henry, when a Jewish lady comes into your store to buy fish, right? And she doesn't like what she sees. What did she say? I, 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 I want to see, see the owner. You want to see the manager? No, I don't want to see the manager. I want the owner now. That's, we, we go to the boss. I said, I made a joke. Like, we, don't, no. we, don't, we don't believe in in-betweens. But I said, seriously, and I didn't know what to say, but this is what came out. I said, let me ask you something. I said, let's say the Jews are wrong. Let's say we're wrong. So we come up to the next world. Let's say we're right. Come up to the next world. I don't believe in any son of God. God forbid, it's blasphemy. God is a being, doesn't have, doesn't have human children. It's not, the whole thing is stupidity. We don't believe in it. I come up, Hashem is waiting for me there. I did my 613 mitzvahs. I did what I'm supposed to. He takes me into Gan Eden. Everything's beautiful. I said to this guy, I said, well, what happens if you're right and I'm wrong? So I come up to the next world and this guy I never prayed to, I never spoke to, I didn't even know he existed, right? He's standing there, he's like, hey, Wallstein, you never came to church. You never prayed, you never did, you know, anything, you know, the wafer, the whole business, the water, everything. You're like, like, what's up with you? I'm like, oh, um, give it up the aim. Like, I, I served your father, you can't punish me for serving your father, right? It's in the Ten Commandments. So, I said to this guy, I said, either way, I'm good. If God is God, which we believe, I'm good. And if, he's, and if there's something in between, chas v'shalom, right? If there's something in between, then I still went to the Father, I went to God. You can't put, give it up aim. Like, you're going to punish me because I served your Father? So I'm good to go. I said, I got nothing to worry about. I said, but you, I said, if you're right, fine. But if you're wrong, God's going to be standing there and you're going to come up to the world and God's going to say, Son? Me? I have a child? Blasphemy! How dare you believe in such a thing? I said, so, we're good to go. You're 50-50, baby. If you're wrong, you're done. This guy got so angry. He he spoke so softly, right? Got so angry. He said, blank you, Jew, in front of Mike. Right? And Mike never saw him talk like that. He was always very soft-spoken, very nice, whatever it is. Lost it. Called me four-letter words. Quit. Walked out. So, 
I felt very bad that I even came out of my mouth that if you're right, that such a thing came out of my mouth. So I asked the big child, like I said, I, I didn't know what to say. Was that like, as Hashem angry? Like I, that even said such a thing out of my mouth that, that we could be wrong? So you, you did very good. You had a lot of sat to the Shemaya. And, 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 and Mike, of course, stayed a Jew. He got a little bit more religious, not really much more religious, whatever it is. That was that story. Anyway, so, but that doesn't prove anything to this girl. So here's my proof, guys. Now you dig a proof. So atheists believe that the physical, you're born in the physical world, all their stupidity, you came from a pebble, you became a monkey, now you're a human. I don't know what we're going to become. Maybe, maybe according to them, in a million years from now, you'll be a cell phone. Right? You're going to, evolution, you're going to become a cell phone. Then after a cell phone, maybe you'll become a car, and then be a plane. They'll say, look, plane used to be a human being. It's, it's the whole thing doesn't make it. Evolution makes no sense. But let's, I said, the bottom line is that everyone in the world believes in a physical world. Why does everyone believe in a physical world? Because you live in a physical world. And God gave us the five senses to be in a physical world. You see, you smell, you hear, you touch, right? All five senses. So the physical world is three-dimensional. Length, width, diameter, right? Length, width, height. And so that's how we see things. Anything out of the three-dimensional world, you don't see. Bacteria, dust, right? It's in the air, you can't see it. Your eyes are not made to see bacteria. You walk into a room, if you would see bacteria, you would run out of the room. There's flu, strep, bad breath, there's a million bacteria flying in the room, right? On top of that, there's a crazy amount of airwaves right now in this room. All the people on the block behind us, to all the people on the block next to us, they're all talking to each other. So through this room right now, there's TV shows, there's TV movies, there's WhatsApps, there's billions of sounds and waves, right? That's, that's how it's getting to the, to the next block, it's getting to the next block. But we can't see that. We don't see sound waves, right? We don't see that stuff. So we have to believe that even though we're in the physical world, we're living in another world. What's the other world that's more powerful than the physical world that you cannot see? Hashem did not give you a sense to be able to see it. The emotional world. You love someone. You don't love someone 10 pounds. You don't love someone 2 feet. The emotions that you feel cannot be measured because they're not in the three-dimensional world so somebody could smile at you hi hate your guts you can be very bashful and there's someone in the room you're madly in love with them but you don't show it you're like you're like looking the other way you you cannot see emotions you cannot mri it you cannot sonogram it you cannot weigh it you cannot measure it so i said to the girls you have to admit you're living in a world of two things, a physical and an emotional world. One you could see and one you cannot. And the emotional world is so strong that it actually controls the physical world. You're sad, you cry. You're happy, you laugh. You're in a very bad place, you can get so depressed that you can't eat. Emotions drive the physical world. I told you, Time Magazine, the reason the Mishnah says you can't talk to girls is because nine, this is Time Magazine, 90% of emotional relationships turn physical. So if you're going to get involved with a girl and you're going to start getting emotionally involved, you're going to end up physical. 
Only 20% of physical relationships end up emotional. The flip side. Emotions lead to physical. Physical doesn't always lead to emotions. So, it's a very powerful world. It can cause a person to jump off a building. It can cause a person to end his physical life because his emotions are driving him. That's how strong the emotional world is and you cannot see it at all. You cannot weigh it, you cannot see it, you cannot measure it. So you have to admit to the, to the biggest atheist in the world that when you're in living, you're living in two worlds. One you can see and one you can't. So when we're talking about a, the next world, the world after death, that's such a hard thing to understand. Because even the world in life, I can't see it. Now, when someone dies, their physical body dies. How do you kill an emotional body? How do you kill an emotion? You stab it, you shoot it, you blow it up, you burn it, you drown it? No. There is nothing in the physical world that can kill an emotional world. So when someone dies, where does the emotional person go? It's got to go somewhere. So it's got to go to a world of emotions. That's spirituality. Emotions and spirituality are one. You cannot see spirituality. You cannot see emotions. So the biggest atheist has to admit there is another world. Now, the girl said to me, but Rabbi Wallerstein, how do you know when you die that your emotions don't die? Don't your emotions come from your brain? I said, no. Take a plant plant has no brain. We all admit, you can ask any scientist, a plant does not have a brain. It has DNA, it grows, it, right? It has from a, doesn't have a brain. Take two plants, take two flowers tomorrow. Anyone wants to try this at home, you could try it. Take two flowers, two plants, not flowers, the flowers die. Take two plants and every morning walk over to one plant in one room and curse it, scream at it, tell it it's the worst, most ugly, disgusting thing you ever saw. Use every single bad word you know at this plant and spend about 10 minutes ranking it out to the ground. Then go to the other plant and say, you know, it's a beautiful thing I ever saw in my life. I love you. You're special. I cherish you. Talk to it like the most precious person in your life. The plant that you scream at will die and the plant that you compliment and say beautiful things to will blossom. It has no brain. So, it has nothing to do with the brain. There's a world that affects the physical world. That's an emotional world that couldn't even affect a plant that has no brain. You can Google it, you can look it up. It's a, it's a fact. So, when the person dies, it's not about his brain being dead. That's a physical thing. And, and love doesn't come from your brain. It comes just the opposite. If you're very logical, it's very hard to love. It comes from your heart. But there's nothing in your heart. Your heart pumps blood. Take a heart, dissect it. It's got chambers. It's, it's a muscle. pumps blood. What do you mean, I have love in my heart? When you, all the symbols of love is a heart. Right? Valentine's, whatever. It's all, it's all a heart. So love comes from your heart. Love doesn't come from your heart. Your heart's a muscle. It just, it says that because it feels like 
It's coming from within you. It is coming from within you. It's coming from your whole body. Every part of your body is in the physical and emotional world. Therefore, when a physical body dies, the emotional part of the human being goes back to the emotional world. You can't kill an emotion. can't kill an emotion. And it's not about your brain being alive or dead. Not at all. Because a plant doesn't have a brain. So she said, you know what? You got a point, Rabbi. We got to talk about this next week again. Every person is in both worlds. All of us. And we cannot deny the emotional world is much stronger than the physical world. Much stronger. In fact, it drives... We all know about, um, you know, if some, someone sees a kid some under, the, under a car, all of a sudden you're able to lift the car, right? So that's coming from an emotional, that's pushing your body to do something way above it than what it's possible to do. Emotional world is crazy powerful. Mind over mind. What? Mind is stronger than mind. It's, it's more than the mind. What does it mean, the mind? It's you. It's really who you are. Your personality. I was holding my father in my arms when he passed away. It was in the morning, I took off his tefillin, and he was in my arms, and I didn't know that he was passing away at that point. And I saw something leave his body. And when I saw it, 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 it's a feeling. I didn't see a fire or something like that. It just was something left his body. And I, I said to the nurse, my father's gone. And as I said it, the little thing went flat. And my father was laying there. It wasn't him anymore. He didn't change. His whole body was the same body. It wasn't there. The life, the life wasn't there anymore. I saw that the life wasn't there anymore. The whole time his eyes were closed. He was in a coma. How did I know the difference? I saw it leave. It's, it's something that it's not... It's in your body with your body. But it's, it's, it's not... It's, it's a separate entity. And you can't kill that entity. And that's the personality. That's, that's a person's personality. You can't measure a personality. You can't. It's just, it's who he is. You can't explain it. And that who he is, you can't kill. It's got to go somewhere. And that's the next world. It's a world of emotion. It's a world of spirituality. And by Tiyas HaMesim, Kishboku puts the personality back into the body. And it becomes one. That's what it's all about. We should all be zaycha. One, one fast last word, beautiful word. It says like this. It says that by the menorah, last week's parasha, he didn't know, Moshe Rabbeinu did not know how to make it out of one chunk of gold. So Hashem said, take a chunk of gold and throw it into the fire. B'tzalel, throw it into the fire. And when you take it out, it'll be a menorah. He couldn't figure out how to do it. Hashem also gave Moshe Beno a command to make the, the cover of the Arna Kodesh with the Kruvim out of one piece of gold. Moshe Beno didn't know how to do that. It's even harder than the menorah. How come Hashem didn't tell him, take a chunk of gold and throw it into the fire and out will come Kruvim? Beautiful answer. Because the Kruvim were two, with a, a female baby and a male baby facing each other. Two children, Tinaikes, two children. Akash Baruch said, when it comes to making children, when it comes to bringing up children, you've got to do the work. You can't just throw them, they'll be okay, they'll be fine, they'll grow up okay. No, that's the Menaira. 
when it comes to Tinaikais, you have to figure out how to, you're going to have to figure out how to make them solid out of one piece of gold. You can't just throw them into a fire and expect that to happen. And that was a, why Hashem, by the menorah, he said, just throw it in. By, by the, by the Arna Kaidesh, Hashem said, you're going to have to chop it and figure it out and how to do it, you're going to have to figure it out. But one of the girls asked me this week, what does it take to be a Jew? How do you know, how do you know if you're a good Jew? How does a person know if you're a good Jew? So Michelangelo, who was a sculptor, who did the cistern, whatever it is, very famous. They asked him to sculpture an elephant. And he took a piece of ivory, and he sculptured an elephant, and he put it in front of the palace. And people really thought it was a live elephant. So the, the king came to him and said, I don't understand. How did you do that? How did you make something look so much like an elephant? And Michelangelo said it was very simple. I took a piece of ivory and I chopped away everything that wasn't elephant. So if you want to know what it means to be a good Jew, if you chop away everything that isn't a Jew, that's how you become a good Jew. Tzlach and brach, everybody. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.